The Liberals Gun Corner, a proud progeny of the Gun Rights Radio Network, hosted by Cowboy T, San Francisco liberal with a gun. This podcast is always available at www.liberalsguncorner.com, and you can email us at cowboyt at liberalsguncorner.com. Cowboy T, San Francisco liberal with a gun. Welcome to episode 58. As you all should know by now, I'm a liberal, not a Democrat, nor for that matter, a Republican. I'm an independent liberal with no party affiliation whatsoever. In an upcoming episode, since I'm often asked about that, we'll revisit just what that means. I think it's worth it to do so. And speaking of liberals, let's get right into it. There was a discussion going on recently over at the Liberal uh, Gun Club about constitutional carry. There are some liberals who agree with it. You know, they, they like this idea. There are some others who, well, they have concerns about it. Now, how this discussion came about is the state of Tennessee is looking to pass constitutional carry. Same like Vermont, Maine, West Virginia. And as it turns out, as of March 2021 this month, 15 other states, 18 in total. My understanding is that most Tennesseans like this idea. But there is apparently a population of Tennesseans that mostly opposes it. Hmm, I found that kind of interesting. Turns out this population would be the black American population in Memphis. Apparently, uh, plenty of black folks in that city have, con- have uh, well, concerns about constitutional carry. The gist of the difference, um, this difference of opinion, seems to be this. The Second Amendment is not an equal right. That's the assertion. More specifically, suppose a black uh, person is carrying. Well, the cops will just, you know, shoot that person first, you know, like what happened with uh, John Crawford III in that Walmart after Ronald Ritchie uh, called the cops and uh, swatted him. And yeah, the cops indeed did run in and uh, they uh, shot first. I saw the video. We talked about this uh, in episodes 39 and 40 when we were discussing stand your ground laws. And I explained back then that the problem really isn't the stand your ground law itself. No, actually stand your ground is a great thing. Rather, the problem is unequal enforcement of the laws, unequal treatment under the law. Pretending that, you know, cops tend to view black Americans just on sight with greater suspicion than they do white Americans. You know, pretending that, that, that that's not the case. You know, that's to, that's to perpetrate a lie of the highest order, folks. So let's just not do that here. And it's that unequal enforcement of the law that's got to be fixed, not eliminating stand your ground. That's what I was talking about back then. The actual fact of the matter is stand your ground has saved a lot of black people over the years my father included. That's what he did. He stood his ground. Well, the same thing applies, as it turns out, to constitutional carry. Yeah, it does. I'm going to explain to those who are concerned about it why you should support constitutional carry. And that goes especially if you're a racial minority. But it applies to everyone. I'll explain. Remember, the Second Amendment outlines a right, not a privilege. That's the first thing and probably the most important thing that we've got to remember here. 
Uh, this this fellow, someone in Tennessee, a fellow named Jim Ross, he wrote an opinion piece recently in the newspaper, The Tennessean. Mr. Ross is, this is according to the newspaper, a native of the state. Okay, good. A U.S. Marine veteran. Okay, double good, double plus good. We like that. A carry permit holder. Hey, triple plus good. And he's also an advocate for this, something that he calls responsible gun ownership. Well, if he's talking literally responsible gun ownership, well, I can't argue with that. I'm for responsible gun ownership, too. Well, here's what he says, though, uh, in his opinion piece about constitutional carry. And I'm quoting him exactly. Quote, owning a gun may be a right, but carrying one around in public is a privilege and should be taken seriously. Close quote. Right there. Sorry, he's wrong. Eh, Thank you for playing. Right there. Remember, this guy's a U.S. Marine veteran. He's a Marine. That means he took the same oath I did to defend the Constitution of the United States. The Second Amendment, which is part of that Constitution, doesn't just say the right to keep arms. No, 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 no. It says the right to keep and bear arms. That means carry, folks. Bearing, that is carrying, the arm is also part of the right. Uh Uh-huh. So this Marine really ought to read up a bit more on that Constitution he swore to defend. And and just about every other Marine I've ever met, by the way, uh, knows better than this. Let's continue with what he says. Quote, This privilege... Sorry, close quote. Whoops, there he goes again. It's not a privilege. Well, let's go ahead and quote the whole next sentence anyway. Quote, This privilege should require testing and training and not be given simply because you are age 21 and a citizen. Law enforcement at almost every level is against this bill. Law enforcement is hard and dangerous enough, you know, as is, without adding another thing our officers have to contend with in performing their duties. Close quote. Wow. Uh, I'm sorry. That just sounds that sounds just like the folks who take the attitude that the cops can do no wrong. We've heard that before. Th- this fellow reminds me of the very kind of person who fears black people carrying guns, folks. I'm sorry. It just sounds too familiar. You know, probably one of those thin blue line types. I hope I'm wrong on that. If you read his whole editorial, and I did, it sounds just like the same dog whistle I've seen you know, too many other thin blue line types make when, you know, when Philando Castile or someone like, else like him gets killed by the cops, or harassed, or beaten up, etc., etc. Just sounds too familiar. You know, much like you know, when the gun grabbers say, well, we don't want to disarm you, we just want common sense gun safety laws. Huh. Oh, yeah. Don't think the gun grabbers don't have their dog whistles, too, folks. Huh. Yes, they do. But, Cowboy T, you can't yell fire in a crowded building. Yeah. Okay. And, and this fellow, Jim Ross, makes the same false equivalency. Yeah, false equivalency. And I'll explain the problem with that argument here and now. It turns out, actually, that's not true. Yes, you can. Yeah. You know, like President Obama said, yes, you can. <laughs> it, it really is true, though. You can, in fact, yell fire in a crowded building. If the building actually is on fire. Well, in that case, I sure hope someone would yell fire in the building so we know to get the heck out of there. 
What is not legal? This is what's not legal, folks, is yelling fire in a crowded building when two conditions. A, there is no fire. And B, in a context where you mean to get people thinking that the building is actually on fire. That's what's illegal. Reason? Well, it should be obvious. You'd probably unnecessarily create a stampede of people naturally wanting to get out of there. And yeah, people have been trampled by such uh, stampedes in the past. Basically, your action would have resulted in someone's death without there being an exigent circumstance, also known as an emergency. That is what's illegal about yelling fire in a crowded building when the building's not actually on fire. The equivalent with guns would be shooting at someone without just cause. So what is just cause? Well, just cause in this kind of case means an exigent circumstance. That is to say, an emergency, i.e., you're under attack. Yeah, you're under attack, baby. In pretty much every jurisdiction I've ever heard or read about, this goes a little further. It also includes threatening someone with your gun without just cause, you know, like drawing it and you know, waving it around. That's called brandishing. And if you draw it with intent to intimidate someone without just cause, that's also illegal and with good reason. On the other hand, if you are either under attack or an attack is imminent, well, hey, you're legal to draw on fire. And indeed, in that kind of situation, you should do so quickly and with dispatch. (laughs) If you're actually defending yourself from attack, then, well, in most jurisdictions... Well, other than places like Maryland, Massachusetts, or New York State, you're pretty much good to go. So I'm having trouble seeing how the yelling fire in a burning building analogy is somehow a good reason to say no to constitutional carry. All the constitutional carry, uh, also known as Vermont carry, since Vermont's been doing it for the last, what, 230 years now, all that means is that the Constitution of the United States, specifically the Second Amendment, is your carry permit. You don't need a permit to carry a gun under uh, such laws any more than you need a permit to operate a printing press. That's all it means. Nothing more. Only this and nothing more. Personally, I think that's a great thing. And it's also about time that we went back to that. I believe that too. Here's why. Remember the reason that gun permitting laws were enacted in the first place. It was to keep the newly freed Negro slaves, black people, yeah, from legally carrying a gun. There were all sorts of bypasses, of course, you know, both official and unofficial in the post-Civil War United States for white people to carry guns. Yeah, this was true even if those white people were poor. Uh, That's where we get the expression... The grandfather clause, by the way, it's those gun control laws from back then. Uh Uh-huh. The goal, of course, was to keep black people from having guns. Why? Well, it's it's easier to press those niggas and keep them in in their place when they're unarmed, you know. Duh, hello, McFly. You know, as our new president, Shotgun Joe Biden, put it. Come on, man. Yeah. That really was the reason for those laws. Remember how California Penal Code Section 12031 got enacted. That's California's strict gun control legal regime, also known as the Mulford Act. 
You may have heard it referred to by that before. We've called it as such. We've referred to it as such here on the Liberals' Gun Corner. Well, this thing got enacted in a hurry after black people in Oakland, California, realized that, oh my God, they could exercise their Second Amendment rights legally under California law. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, California law was a little different at that time. So what did they do? They carried shotguns because that's what California law at the time actually allowed. You may have heard of these folks. They called themselves the Black Panthers. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, scared whites saw this. They couldn't bear the thought of black people actually defending themselves from, you know, repeated Rodney King-style beatdowns for minor traffic violations like 10 over or a so-called California stop at the stop signs. Uh, Those are supposed to be traffic tickets, folks, not bloody beatdowns. The Black Panthers carried those shotguns, and what they would do is they would show up when a black person was getting over. They listened to police radio to find out when that was happening. Guess what happened? The beatdowns got far less frequent. (laughs) Funny that, huh? Well, the result of that was that the Mulford Act got pushed through and became law on basically the warp speed fast track. Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Picard, and Riker couldn't have gotten this done faster. And guess what happened? Yeah, the beatdown started right back up after that. And folks, that's the real, actual history of gun control and gun permitting laws in this country. Do you know how difficult it is anywhere around either San Francisco or Los Angeles to get a gun per, a gun carry permit, you know, assuming you aren't famous or politically connected? Do you have any idea? Any idea at all? I'll tell you, since I'm from there, it's about like getting politicians to tell us the truth. Oh, and if you're black, you can doubly forget it unless your name is, I don't know, Eddie Murphy or Oprah Winfrey, perhaps. Other than that, uh-uh. And this is why black people in Tennessee should be celebrating this. They should be celebrating this, folks. They should be dancing in the streets about this. Yeah, they should be behind constitutional carry. 100%. They should be writing their state representatives and telling them to vote for this bill. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Really, Cowboy T? Yep. Really. I am not joking. Remember that it's not the privilege to keep and bear arms, folks. It's the right to keep and bear arms. It's just like voting. It's just like free speech. These are rights. And we oppose things like poll taxes, you know, don't we as liberals? Yes, we do. If you don't, then, well, you ain't a liberal. You're a George Wallace segregationist, and you might as well go back to waving that dark Confederate flag. Yeehaw! Yeah, seriously, though, seriously, a tax on a right, such as voting, Uh, didn't we fight tooth and nail to get that crap abolished? Yes, we did. It's called the 24th Amendment, folks. And it reads as follows. Section 1. The right of citizens of the United States to vote in any primary or other election for president or vice president, for electors of, of president or vice president, that will be the Electoral College, or for senator or representative in Congress shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state by reason of failure to pay any poll tax or other tax. Section 2. 
the Congress shall have the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. That's the 24th Amendment in its entirety. The Supreme Court ruled in 1966 that, oh, by the way, this this conveys not only to federal elections, by the way, but also to state and local elections by the 14th Amendment, specifically the Equal Protection Clause. Now, this case, that case was, was, was brought by two black women, Annie E. Harper and Evelyn T. Butts, and may their names live on in, honored, in honor forevermore. You know, we complain even today about wealth being a barrier to being able to vote. To this day, that complaint is still heard. You get around any group of fellow liberals and you're going to hear this. The Republicans want to require voter ID. That's a poll tax on the poor, especially racial minorities. Unfair financial burden. It's voter suppression. Well, I agree. It is. You're right. So why in the name of heaven and the FSM would we want to apply a poll tax to any other right? Why? How? How could we even fathom approving of this? Folks, that's what gun permitting regimes are. They're poll taxes. They're designed to make you pay more money to the state and make you jump through hoops just to exercise a constitutional right. You know what that's called? It's called turning a right into a privilege. We don't charge poll taxes on voting. It's a right. We don't charge poll taxes on free speech. And never should. It's a right. So why would we approve of and even encourage poll taxes on the right to keep and bear arms, which is a right? Sorry, that just doesn't make any sense to me. It puts further burdens on black families. I know, I'm a member of one. Due to economic imbalances that we all know about, probably more black people are going to have more difficulty taking time off of work to jump through all those hoops to get a carry permit than, say, a white person might. At least here in Virginia, you've got to get a document notarized, you've got to pay $50, you've got to make a copy of your driver's license, all that stuff. You've got to go to the county clerk. Oh, Now, a lot of us will say, well, that's not a big burden. Oh, really? Well, if, yeah, if you're like me, and a lot of you are, you're reasonably well off. You're sitting in a middle to upper middle class home of some sort. You got days or hours of vacation you can take off from work. And you just whip out the credit card, pay the $50. Or if you're older school, you know, like me sometimes, you write a check. If you're in the technology industry, for example, as I am, I'm a systems engineer, yeah, that's pretty easy. But what if you're a cashier at the retail store? What if you're a housekeeper? What if you're working two or even three jobs just to make ends meet? I've actually, I, I, I do meet people like this all the time, folks. Yeah, just I just go up to the local Home Depot and Lowe's. I'm there all the time. I meet people like this every time I'm there. That's the, the reality of most racial minorities. More black people, more dark-skinned Latino people, by percentage, than white people, folks. Just look at the technology industry, my industry. It's mostly white. I'm the oddball there. Now, it's mostly white with significant populations of East Asians and East Indians. Not a lot of black folks, folks. Not a lot of Latinos either. I know, I'm in the industry. It's my industry, and I see it. So, 
a poll tax on the right to keep and bear arms is just as deleterious as a poll tax on voting or a poll tax on free speech. It really is a chilling effect. And that's why black Tennesseans should be dancing in the streets for this. Finally, these white people running the state government get it. Well, even if that's not why they're doing it, well, that's still going to be the effect. Black people finally will have that financial and logistical barrier to legally carry a gun lowered. And as far as I'm concerned, that can only be a good thing. Self-defense, folks, it's a right. It's not a privilege. And that right comes not from governments, but rather, to quote the Declaration of Independence, from our Creator. Yeah, okay, Cowboy T, nice in theory. But what about that unequal enforcement of the laws bit? You know, what about that? The cops will see a black person carrying a gun will shoot first. You know, that black person will end up just like Philando Castile. What about that? Well, yeah, that could be a problem, couldn't it? Well, guess what? It already is. What happened to Philando Castile just showed that. He had a gun carry permit. And that racist cop still shot him. He had a permit. And the cop still shot him. And the cop walked free and clear. Yeah, you know, justifiable shooting, justifiable homicide. Internal affairs, you know how that goes. So clearly, having a carry permit doesn't prevent a racist cop from shooting a black person who's legally carrying. We already have that problem. Rather, constitutional carry simply makes it easier legally for more black people to carry. It makes it easier legally for more Latinos to carry, more Native Americans, and so on with racial minorities. Yeah, well, but the cops will just assume that every black person's carrying a little shoot first anytime they see a black person then. Uh, yeah, kind of like what happened to John Crawford III, right? Yeah, we talked about that earlier. That's, oh, matter of fact, matter of fact, that's what just happened recently in Houston, Texas, too. What was it, maybe a week or two ago? Yeah, yeah, they uh, shot first and ended up shooting a one-year-old little baby in the head. Yeah, almost hit his mother, too, who, by the way, they knew was in the line of fire. They knew that his mother was in the line of fire when they shot, when they pulled the trigger. Yep, the cops were shooting at black people with no apparent regard for innocent lives. Now, I don't know how that little baby lived after a headshot. Yeah, he got a headshot. But uh, let me tell you, he's in the pediatric ICU right now, the intensive care unit. Right now, this second, in critical condition, fighting for his life. Now, I'll say his name here and now. His name is Legend Smalls. That's the baby's name. Legend Smalls. He's a year old. Now, I want to know that cop's name, too. I want to know who shot him. I want that cop's name, too. Let's hear his name. So, you know, I get the concern, folks. Believe me. I get the concern. Because that could have been one of my little cousins. The problem isn't the constitutional carry, though. That is not the problem. Rather, the problem, the actual problem, is the assumption by too many cops, especially white cops, who see a black person and think, Oh man, thug! It's a thug! I'm in fear for my life! Shoot now! Shoot now! Shoot now! Bang! Bang! Dead innocent black person. That's the problem. Gun permit or not. 
The example of Philando Castile showed us that. Oh, oh, by the way, speaking of, where the hell was the NRA for Philando Castile after that happened? Where were they? I've criticized Diane Sawyer for, you know, for showering private Jessica Lynch with attention, but ignoring uh, specialist Shoshana Johnson. I've done that in the past, and I will continue to do so. Well, the NRA is apparently just as bad as Diane Sawyer, and that's pretty bad. Oh, but I'm sorry, I digress here. Back to the subject. What do we do about this attitude among too many police officers that, if it's black, shoot now, shoot now, bang, bang. What do we actually do about that? since that's the real problem. Well, actually, the example of the Black Panthers is instructive here as well. Yeah, those Rodney King-style beatdowns, they they slowed way down once the cops realized that they were surrounded by a lot of black people with guns. Yeah, well, now think about this. If all those black people in Memphis were to be legally armed in accordance with constitutional carry, i.e. the law, at least if I hope... uh, I hope it's going to be like that. If they're legally armed in in accordance with this new law that we hope passes, I don't see why the cops in Memphis wouldn't behave the same way as the cops in Oakland, California did. Now, I'm not for harming the police. But I am definitely for ensuring that the police don't engage in shoot-first policies against innocent people. And remember that we are innocent until proven otherwise. If you're a racist cop... Put yourself in this position, surrounded by a bunch of armed black people or possibly armed black people, thanks to constitutional carry. You might think twice before you just start beating people up or shooting at them. Just like they thought twice in Oakland. Matter of fact, there's a group in Atlanta that's gearing up to do exactly that. Uh, They call themselves Black OPTS, Black Ops, stands for Black Opportunities. We'll talk about them some more in the next episode. But here's the short version of what they are. The short version is their goal is basically to protect black people from being harmed, no matter who it's from. And yes, that, do, that includes not just white supremacists. It also includes the police. Well, constitutional carry would certainly help the black ops community policers' ability to do that. Yes, they will be patrolling their neighborhoods armed. This is my argument for constitutional carry and why black people, especially those ones in Tennessee right now in Memphis, should be 100% behind it. It puts more of the power back in their hands, and I'm all for that. Now, the concern about racial prejudice is well-founded, and we haven't really addressed that just yet. So we're going to. We're going to talk about that exact subject right after the break. See you in a moment.
We've been talking about constitutional carry, why it's a good thing. And, and we're also addressing one of the big concerns I've heard about it. That concern is unequal enforcement of the laws based on racial prejudice. We cannot ignore that. We, we'd be wrong to ignore that. So let's dive right in. Here we go. I'm going to start this off with a personal story. It's a pretty recent one. It's about the importance of imaging. You know, that is what we see in our media. Just recently, like, you know, maybe, oh, two or three weeks ago, I had three incidents where I prejudged black American women. Yeah, you know, assuming that they'd be, you know, hands on hips, sit girl with the, you know, the head cocking attitude, the snapping of the fingers and the Z formation. Yeah, all that stuff. One incident was at a medical center. Another was at the hospital. And the third was at the local pizza restaurant. All three of these incidents happened within a week of each other. Now, I have family members who look like they do. So how the heck could that have happened to me? Here's how. Imaging. The vast majority of the images that we see and hear about black people portray them as either thugs, the men, or combative onestrotypes, the women. Now, for those of you who don't know who Aunt Esther is, uh, she's a character uh, played expertly by the late, great LaWanda Page on the 70s sitcom Sanford and Son, one of my favorites. Well, that imaging is still the situation today, unfortunately. Uh, Tennis legend Serena Williams, she's gotten that treatment, partly because she's a well-muscled, athletic black woman, and partly because... Well, yeah, she can get a little like John McEnroe or Jimmy Connors used to do on the court. It's true. Oh, and she's hardly the only tennis player who's done that either. But she gets painted that way. Yeah, television roles, you see that imaging too. It's pretty much always the angry black woman trope. It is a repeated drumbeat imaging. And I discovered that even I was affected by that repeated imaging. Whoops. Now, are there black women who fit that trope? Huh, yeah, definitely. I've met them. Of course there are. I'm even related to a few. So, you know, let's not pretend they don't exist. They do. That does not mean, though, that every black woman is that way. You know, any more than every white person is, person is supposedly a Klansman or a Confederacy worshiper or other, you know, white supremacist. Example. President Jimmy and First Lady Rosalind Carter. They sure aren't racists. Uh-uh. They've shown us that many, to- many times over. You know, ask co- entire countries in Africa. They'll tell you the same thing. Well, neither does every black woman fit that negative trope about them either. So one cannot just make assumptions like that on sight. You know, this little story about me is proof of that. Remember, I have family who looks like these folks that I momentarily prejudged. Consider that. Me. Yeah, Cowboy T, yeah. And that prejudgment was wrong all three times. Those black women turned out to be as nice as apple pie with whipped cream on it, every single one of them. Yeah. The ones in the medical center? Huh. Okay, yeah, they were definitely sister girls. And they were also highly professional, very professional. Couldn't have been more professional, actually, if they were totally nice to us. 
Strike one. The one in the hospital emergency room. Oh, yeah, she saw me standing by uh, Mrs. BHC's bed there. and You know, she offered to get me a chair so I could sit down. Yeah. I was actually surprised at her kindness. And then after, at, at that point, I started wondering, my gosh, am I imposing if I actually accept the chair? <laughs> Mrs. BHC told me, oh, just say yes and accept her, her hospitality. Go on. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did accept it. Mrs. BHC ran into her again, by the way, uh, once, she, once uh, she got admitted to her hospital room. And again, this lady was sweet as honey. Strike two. The one at the pizza restaurant. Oh, let me tell you, she looked every bit the picture of hands on hips, head cocking sapphire type. <laughs> yeah, um, like Lex Luthor said in Superman Returns, wrong! Dead wrong. She, too, was very nice, very professional. Actually, she seemed like a really nice person overall. Yeah. After I sat down with uh, Mrs. BHC to enjoy our pizza, I realized what I had done. Again. Inside of a week. Strike three. Cowboy T clearly has got some work to do. Whoops. (sighs) Yeah, I'm not proud of that. Well, news journalist Juan Williams had a similar moment regarding Muslims. You remember that? About, what, 10, 11 years ago? Uh Uh-huh. Well, he also acknowledged it, and he fixed it within himself. We all have our personal prejudices, folks. Don't deny that you you don't have yours, too. Don't say you don't have yours. You do. Don't deny it. I'm simply telling the truth about one starting to form that I just discovered. Remember, these women look like my own family members. That could have been any of my own relatives that this happened with, with other people. And yeah, it has happened to them out there, regularly, both the men and the women. This is why imaging is so important. If that's what you're shown day after day after day, it does begin to have an effect. I'm just glad I caught it when I did. I could do something about it a lot more easily once I recognized it and acknowledged it because it's not right. It's, folks, it's, it's un-American to let such a prejudice fester. It's just plain wrong. Fortunately, I realize and accept that. That's what allows me to do something about it and fix it. You know, nip that crap in the bud because that's just what it is. However, And this is where we get to the relevance of this story. What about those folks who don't have family that looks like those women? How about them? Yeah. How are they likely to respond to that repeated imaging over and over again? Exactly. What happens way too often is they embrace that negative imaging. They cradle it to their hearts, and they act on it. They act on it in some pretty ugly ways, too. Consider Jennifer Schultz, better known perhaps as Barbecue Becky, who called the cops on black barbecuers in a park in Oakland, California. Yeah. Or Allison Edel, better known perhaps as Permit Patty. You know, she called the cops on a little eight-year-old girl uh, in Oakland, California, same city. This is a black girl, by the way 
for selling bottled water, the crime of selling bottled water on a hot summer day. Or there's Teresa Klein, also known as Corner Store Carolyn, who falsely accused a nine-year-old boy, a black boy, of sexual assault and called the cops. Or Amy Cooper, also known as Central Park Karen, who called the cops on the black bird watcher. Yeah, Christian, yeah. Or, more recently, um, Maya Ponsetto, who accused a a 14-year-old black boy of stealing her phone. She even tackled him, then tried to steal the kid's phone, claiming it was hers. Well, it turns out she actually lost her phone outside of the hotel, and an Uber driver found the phone, took it to the hotel, where she later picked it up. Yeah, she assaulted a 14-year-old kid, an innocent kid, and furthermore tried to reach into his pockets to steal his phone. Well, that's already bad enough. But now consider this scenario. You're black. You're traveling through a place where there generally isn't a lot of black people. You know, you get out, you stop, get some gas, stop for lunch, something similar like that. You know, one of those travel stops that you make. Now you notice several people starting to surround you and approach closer. They look kind of hostile. The intent doesn't look good. And you're all alone. You know, maybe one of them says, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. We don't need your element here. Whew. Doesn't look good, does it? Far-fetched? Oh, if only it were. That is almost exactly the situation my dad faced. For those of you who've listened to this podcast before, you know what he did. For those of you who don't yet know, well, it turns out he was legally carrying his gun. In this particular case, uh, Dad was walking from his hotel room to his car, to his car you know, about to go about his business of the day. Well, three racists with knives came up to him and said, and I quote, well, looks like we're going to cut ourselves up a nigger, boys. Close quote. And here they came, knives in hand. Here they come. Dad pulls out his legally carry gun, points it at him and says, I don't think so, fellas. Folks, it's amazing how quickly minds can be changed. <laughs> they stopped. They got this, oh, crap, look of horror on their faces, turned around and ran so fast they made Usain Bolt look slow. <laughs> yeah. And what did Dad do? He checked around looking for any additional threats. Not seeing any, he reholstered, got in his car, and went about his business of the day. Remember that imaging I was just talking about earlier? That's what causes those sorts of attacks. That's what caused the murder of James Byrd in Jasper, Texas. That's why Ronald Ritchie called the cops on John Crawford III in that Walmart. And that's why those cops shot first and killed Crawford. That's why that cop shot 12-year-old Tamir Rice. It's why those white feminists like the ones I mentioned above did what they did and called the cops on black people, you know, not hurting anybody, just going about ordinary business. That sort of attack can get you killed. It almost got my dad killed. So why didn't it? Why'd he live? Because he had a gun. This is why I advocate for especially black people to not only be gun owners, but also to be extremely pro-Second Amendment. Your life may depend on it. 
Oh, well, unless you want Charlottesville-style racists to beat you to a a bloody pulp, you know, maybe even kill you. Unless you want to be defenseless against the neo-Nazis and the Confederacy worshipers that we all know are out here. My fellow liberals, I've heard you mention Charlottesville over and over again. And you are right to do so. You're right. You've also said it ain't just Charlottesville. Unfortunately, you're right there as well. And that's exactly why you should be gun owners. It's why you have, you you need to have the right to do so. Yeah, but we'll just call 911. Let the cops handle it. Oh, the police will show up. Yeah. Eventually. But what if you do before the, yeah, what do you do then? You know, before the cops get there to save you. What do you do? And that's if they can get there in time at all. What do you do then? What do you do then? Exactly. You are in exactly my dad's situation. And that's why it was so important that he had that gun. Same goes for you. It's imaging, folks. That's what causes that Charlottesville-style hatred. Over and over again, that imaging, that drumbeat imaging. Well, it's like a Swiss, a Swiss fella named uh, Mark Heim put it. He's Jewish. I quote, The key to freedom is the ability to defend yourself. And if you don't have the tools to do that, then you're at the mercy of the ones who would put you away or do you harm. And the tools for that are guns. Close quote. He was speaking of the Jewish Holocaust, yeah, but it applies to everyone. And that's why I told you about my own story of how that negative imaging affected me. Now you know why I told you that. If it can get even to me for a moment, and I have family who looks like those women, how about the other folks out there who don't have relatives who look like those women? That's why I'm for fighting against bigotry. That's why I'm for having the tools for self-defense. That's why I'm for constitutional carry. And it's why you should be too. It really is a good thing, folks. And it could save your life. This is Cowboy T signing off until next time. Until then, safe shooting, defend your rights, and thanks for listening.